record-breaking facts and figures very often amaze a lot of people at the achievements that individuals have accomplished. Now, it must be said, folks, that there are some unwanted records about today that I'm sure nobody would like to set out to try and beat. I'm sure there's nobody in this congregation tonight would like to try and set out and beat the record that is held by Roy Sullivan. Roy Sullivan was a park ranger in the Shenandoah National Park in Virginia, in America. He was hit by lightning on seven different occasions. And he survived every one of those hits. He gained the nickname in the locality of the human lightning conductor. And I don't think there's anybody in this meeting tonight would like to set out and to beat Roy's record. There's not many sporting teams anywhere in the world who would want to have an unwanted record such as Derby County. In the 2007-2008 season, when out of the 38 games in the Premiership, 32 of those were lost. Only winning one. And holding the record for the lowest points ever in the Premiership of just a mere 11. There are many people, on the other hand, who have set records that went down in history that have been most spectacular indeed. Gaining fame, fortune in athletics, and in the swimming pool and in the velodrome at the Olympic Games. Many people also down at a local level, and maybe you're one of them, and you like to set your own wee personal records in the gym, or in, or, or, or in a, a, a road run, or, or something like that. It gives you a focus then to try and beat it the next time. And it's a benchmark for you. And you know, friends, every now and again, farmers in our land and in various places in the world, they like to set their records as well. Just a few years ago in Lincolnshire, Case Quadtrack owners came from right across Britain, conveyed on that a field outside the city of Lincoln to set a world record of the greatest number of case quad tracks working in one field at one time. Now, what on earth is a case quad track? Well, I can guarantee you, folks, you will not see one around Garden. These are huge articulated tractors that swivel in the middle. Instead of having four rubber tires, there's four rubber tracks. And they range from 360 horsepower up to 620. And in all, on that time, in Lincolnshire, there were 40 of them gathered in that 70-acre field, all in aid of charity. Some came as far afield as Aberdeenshire. Some came from Coldstream in the Scottish borders, from Wiltshire and Warwickshire. And they drove themselves spectacularly into the record books in style. You know, farmers in Galway... Didn't want to be outdone either. A couple of years ago, folks, wanting to set the record of the greatest number of wee single-chop forage harvesters in one field, working at one time. And there's some of you tonight, and I can see the odd smile here. And, and you know what a single-chop silage harvester is. It's a wee, wee side-mounted machine on, on the side of maybe a Massey 165 or something like that. 
And there in that field in Galway, there were 86 machines turned up. Again, driving themselves in style into the record books. Just a very short time ago, a year or so ago, in the Grunion Estate up in North Donegal, the aim was to set the world record for the greatest number of masses in one field at one time, all working together, in order to achieve the Ferguson World Record Challenge. Now every machine had to be 30 years old and more. And folks, that day in Donegal, there were 733 masses all turned up. And the rules stipulated that each tractor had to be pulling some kind of soil, soil working implement behind it, whether a plough or a grubber, a tooth harrow or a potato dropper or something like that. And at half three that afternoon, as the checkered flag was raised, you could see the plumes of smoke going up into the air. The men were opening up the machine and getting ready to go. And the flag dropped. And there are all 733 masses. We Fergies as well, driving into the record books in tremendous style. You will find from time to time, farmers like a wee bit of crack, getting together and getting their, their machinery dusted down and coming together. And friends, farmers and contractors alike will purchase machinery like this because of the work that needs to be done every year in the farm in anticipation of a coming harvest. It's harvest time in our land here from sometime in the middle of, of April right through to December. Certain parts of the country in the middle of, of April, the farmers are at the silage. They're bringing in the grass harvest for another winter to come as a form of fodder for the cattle. I can remember the year before we went into the wet field. We were digging spuds at home. It was an awful wet year, 2001. Folks, we didn't finish gathering spuds till the 23rd of December. Just two days before Christmas Day. It sticks out in our mind. Remember the dinner being brought out to the field every day in saucepans and you stood at the side of the trailer. And that was your table. And you lifted your spuds out and your stew and everything else and... Well, the end of the cuffs, the dirt was just dripping off into, your, into the gravy. I can remember that well. Uh, and folks, just two days before Christmas, we finished gathering parties, as we call them in Tarobin. Each year, there's a coming harvest. God has promised it. He has told us in his word that while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest shall not cease. And you will sometimes find on farms and with contractors that during the winter months when there's not much going on out in the field that they're in their garage and they're preparing that machinery and they're, they're maybe changing the blades and the harvester and so on and they're getting ready for the first day of harvest. Here in Jeremiah chapter 51 we read of different records. Unwanted records that were going to be set regarding Babylon. You know, friends, living in Old Testament times, if you had been around in Jeremiah's day and you heard these words, you would say, that couldn't happen. 
these mighty deeds regarding the world's superpower at that time, Babylon. An empire like that come crashing to the ground, it can't be. What it did. In verse 2, and we didn't read the whole chapter tonight, but we find there that Babylon is likened unto an empty land. And in verse 3 we read that the archers will come against them. And then in verse 8, we are told that she will fall and be destroyed. And altogether, in verses 1 to 28, God here is declaring war upon Babylon and the false gods of Babylon, especially the false god of Baal, sometimes known as Marduk. And Marduk would be shamefully treated by the high god of heaven. The word translated in verse 17 uh, as image can also be translated in our English folks as dung pallets. You get the sense there what God thought of their images. These dung pallets. God's going to lift up his fist against them. In verse 23, we, we read about the shepherds and the flock and the husbandman and the yoke of oxen. Agricultural terminology that's all going to take a severe hit when God lifts up his fist against Babylon. And as you read chapter 51 of, of Jeremiah, the Lord is going to gather the armies against Babylon, first of all the Medes. And we read about that in our reading tonight. The empire of the Medes and the Persians. And after that will be the Greeks. Here, the Lord God of heaven will bring judgment upon Babylon like the winnowing of the grain and like the threshing of the crop. And our text tonight is verse 33. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor. It is time to thresh her. Yet a little while, and the time of her harvest shall come. Being around in Jeremiah's day, you would say that could never happen. Let's think of a, a city in modern day times comparable to Babylon in population. And I suggest to you the city of Dublin. And if you were told that, Babylon, uh, that the city of Dublin, the river Liffey running through it would be dried up. And that every building in it would be raised to the ground and not one stone left upon another. And there'd be no inhabitant left in Dublin. You would say it, it can't happen. It's incredible. Well, folks, that's exactly what was forecast for Babylon. And it came. And in this verse 33, though it points to the harvest of the destruction of Babylon, friend, there's a gospel lesson in this for all of us because you and I are working together towards another harvest. The harvest of our own daily ripening, culminating in a day when all of us in this meeting will be heaped together on God's threshing floor and the Lord will winnow the crop of mankind. Friend, that is a solemn thought for us all to contemplate tonight. There is a coming harvest when the record books will be opened and some people on that day will have an unwanted record. 
And the Lord saying, depart from me, I never knew you. Considering verse 33 tonight, let's look at the coming harvest. First of all, there's the process referred to. Our text this evening speaks of threshing. And there's a reference made also to a threshing floor. Now, what does it mean to thresh? Well, certainly you will not see threshing going on on a farm today. You might see it at an old vintage rally, for example, to keep keep old time's sake alive. But, friend, to thresh simply means to flail. You can picture a shaft, and at the end of it there's a leather strap, and onto it is tied a shorter stick. Uh, And an individual will be there with the the harvest brought in from the field, the straw and the ears and so upon it, lifting up and down that shaft with the smaller stick in the end of it, bringing it down with tremendous force to separate the straw from the ears. It was done on a threshing floor, a hard level floor. Coming on later in years, threshing would have been done through some powered implement like a, like a water mill or like a, like a, a wind mill, for example. But in Bible times, a flail was used. And folks, you can picture that, that little stick in the end of the shaft coming down with excessive speed and tremendous force upon, upon that, that crop that was harvested in order to separate the oats or the barley or the wheat, whatever it was, from the straw. And it was repeated blow after blow after blow. The Bible also speaks of the process of winnowing. Again, you will not see winnowing done in our land today, except at a vintage demonstration. Winnowing was done after the threshing. All of that grain that had been separated from the straw was now heaped up on a threshing floor. And maybe, maybe that floor was an exposed flat rock on the top of a hill. And on a windy day, there would have been somebody there with a shovel to toss the grain into the air. And as the grain was coming back down again, the chaff on all foreign matter was blown away. Blown into a heap maybe six, seven, eight feet away. And as that pile of chaff got bigger, it had been gathered together maybe into a bag and taken down to a place where it would have been burned. You need to remember, friend, that in Bible times, the whole crop was cut down from Mother Earth with a scythe or with a sickle. And that meant that the straw and the ears were all harvested together. And then at a later date, the threshing took place and the winnowing. My granda, on my dad's side, was a farmer in County Monaghan. And granda had an old Garvey thrasher, a three-walker thrasher. He used to go around the country in the forts and major. Uh, and granda was a bit of a contractor. And, and he went around the different farms as the, the corn stooks w- would have been threshed. It was a common sight years ago. That all the sheaves, we sometimes sing bringing in the sheaves, don't we? Well, those handfuls of, of, of um, crop would have been tied together. Sheaves would have been pitchforked onto a trailer. <clears throat> and all of those sheaves would have been put together in what was known as an old hut. 
And then the thrasher would have come at a later time and the crop would have been threshed and winnowed. That's what my granddad would have done, folks, years ago before there was a, a combine harvester. Nowadays, all of these processes that I've talked about, the cutting down from earth, the winnowing, the threshing, the gathering together, it's all done in a one-pass system in a combine harvester. <clears throat> and there's some mighty combines on the market today. You can think of the class Lexi and 780, for example. And if you want to buy one, folks, well, all the best to you. It'll, it'll set you off £578,000. 45-foot head upon it. Empty, the combine weighs 20 ton. The bin itself holds 10.5 ton. You can imagine if that thing got bogged in the field round Garva. The boys around here wouldn't have fit to pull them out. And folks, it's machines like that that brings in your porridge, your Weedabix. And when we look at threshing and the process associated with it in the Word of God, of course this language is metaphorical and it describes the judgment of God between the godly and the ungodly. And it highlights for us all this evening, friend, the process of separation. There's a separating of the straw from the ears. And then there's another process of the separating of the ears from the chaff. Now we read of all of these processes taking place in the Bible. For example, we read of winnowing when Boaz was winnowing barley in Ruth chapter 3 verse 2. We also read of threshing. In Judges 6 verse 11, when Gideon threshed the wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 verse 15, we read of the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And all of this speaks of separating and beating and with repeated blows and violence being used. Friend, this reminds us of the description of how the Lord will separate the wheat from the chaff on that great judgment day. John the Baptist, in reference to the judgment that the Lord Jesus would meet out, John the Baptist spoke. Aaron, Luke 3 and verse 17, whose fan is in his hand. That is simply a fan that produces an air current for cleaning the crop. Whose fan is in his hand who will thoroughly purge his floor, gather the wheat into his garner, with the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Dear friends, that process is coming of God's blowing with his wrath. When he turns on the fan of his wrath on that great judgment day, and I wonder this evening for you in Garva, if that day was to come for you tonight, would you be seen as foreign matter on God's threshing floor and blowing out? into a lost eternity. When God turns on the fan of his wrath and you're seen as lightweight, not wanted, friend, what a terrible day that will be. God reaps the harvest of this world. All cut down, friend, we are all going to stand someday before the Lord on the level threshing floor of his inflexible justice.
For the sinner on that day, what violence. Being tossed out into hell itself to be trampled on for all eternity. Friend, that is a solemn thought. God speaks here in chapter 51 and verse 2 of the fanners coming to Babylon and emptying the land. It'll be a cleaning out time. Just as it is in the combine. That class Lexian I told you about, eight turbo fans to clean the crop. It is the clean grain that goes into the tank, isn't it? And the chaff and the straw fall out the back. There's a separating when the wind is turned on. And as it is, folks, in the combine in the modern day illustration, this was a modern day illustration in Bible times that Jeremiah used. And when God turns on the wind and the fan of his wrath, I wonder where will you be in God's eternity? Are you safe tonight? We read in Jeremiah 15 and verse 7. God says, I will fan them with a fan. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they return not from their ways. And I tell you, friend, God knows how to segregate the grain from the chaff. Didn't Jesus tell us in the parable of the tares and the wheat? In Matthew 13 verse 30. Let both grow together until harvest. And in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. Gather the wheat into my barn. And friend, when God turns on the fan that day, in the process of winnowing the crop of mankind, will you be gathered into God's heaven or blown out into a lost eternity? Secondly, tonight, There's the period of restraint. Because verse 33 of our text says, Yet a little while. God says, yes, it's time to treasure, to thresh Babylon. But he adds these words, Yet a little while. That is God's period of restraint. Shows to us, folks, that that judgment didn't come immediately upon Babylon. But God gave them a period of restraint, a holding back. He gave them a window of opportunity. He gave them space, a little opening before harvest of judgment came. And that shows to you and I tonight the mercy of God that he does not immediately cut off the sinner when they offend their maker. God gives us a little while. He gives us a little space in this life in order that we might seek him before it is forever too late. Wasn't that so prior to the flood in Noah's day? Didn't God give men and women a window of opportunity? He gave them a little while. God didn't judge them immediately for their sin. But God delayed that flood coming and he provided a vehicle, a means of escape that men and women might board the ark. And God has designed it so that his mercy and his long-sufferingness should be made known to people in Northern Ireland and Ireland as a whole. 
book of Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Think of the words of Peter in 1 Peter 3 and 20. That the long-suffering of God waited long in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. And God had given people fair warning in those days. And friend, this Sunday night, hasn't God given you your little while? And he's given you fair warning. And yet here's another harvest season that has come and it is gone. And maybe you're still on that broad road. And you're heading to a Christless eternity this evening. And and you're doing so in spite of all the means and in spite of all the advantages that God has given in your direction. And how long is a piece of string? And in a similar manner, folks, how long is a little while? You know, for many in Noah's day, they despised that little while that God gave them. And being disobedient to the call of the preacher... They perished and went to a lost eternity. How merciful and patient God has been to people in Garva. Friends, the more light that you sin against, the more Calvary love you sin against. And the spurning of God's grace, I wonder how long God's little while will last. <clears throat> we often sing the hymn in gospel meetings. Sinner, God's patience may weary some day. Leave thy sad soul in the blast. By willful resistance you've drifted away over the deadline at last. Didn't God say at creation my spirit shall not always strive with man? And friend, I tell you tonight, this is your window of opportunity. Your opportunity to strike when the iron is hot and to press into the kingdom of God's dear son and to do so in that vehicle that was typified in the ark, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the great anti-type of that ark. And folks, through his death and blood shedding upon the cross of Calvary, the Saviour atoned for sin. But you and I need to enter the one door. Because Christ is the one door. And it was on that cross of Calvary that the Saviour became sin for us who knew no sin. And we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And God has given you your little while. And God has not lifted his wrath and anger against you yet. And cast you headlong into a lost eternity. Good news, friend, is that window of opportunity is open tonight. But we don't know how long that opportunity will be for. That is why God's time to be saved is now. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Many summers you have wasted, ripened harvest you have seen. And verse 3 of that hymn goes on to tell us, Jesus, for your choice is waiting. Tarry not at once decide. And yes, friend, it is true. The gospel is a decision. That's something you need to decide on tonight. And I'm coming to the Saviour. I've wasted many precious years. Lord, I'm coming home. I wonder, will that be you this evening? Let's look lastly at the promise of reaping. Our text concludes with the words, And the time of her harvest shall come.
may have been delayed, but it shall come. And folks, it would come when the crop was ready, as it always does in the physical realm. Sometimes crop is sown as winter barley and winter wheat in the month of October. And you will see men sowing at this time of the year. Maybe you think, well, what's the point in that? Well, it's winter wheat. This time of the year, if the weather was good, well, over in England you could sow winter wheat on into November. It will then be harvested the following July. Sometimes the crop is sown as spring wheat and spring barley in the month of April. It is then harvested in late September and on into September itself. And folks, it all grows towards a harvest day coming. And of course, harvest, the end of harvest is a time of rejoicing. There's the fruit of the field has been brought in. And God's continued seed time of harvest has come to fruition once again. It's always a happy day when the crop is finally brought in. The last load of silage is tipped at the silo. When the last drill of spuds is dug and the last bale is brought in from the field. Now I know that there's not much to rejoice in first thing on a blustery November morning when the cogwheel of the spud harvester gives way at ten past seven in the morning. And when that happened in our case, folks, well, you didn't get time off, you didn't get home. We 135 and the old spinner was brought out. You can, some of you can remember the spinner, digging spuds with the spinner. And you gathered the spuds into a basket. Maybe the basket had two or three kilos of clay on it. It was, that, it was just covered in clabber. And then you were tramping through soft ground to the half-ton box just to heal it all in. And it was just repeated over and over again. And yes, you're wishing the harvester was fixed. There's not much to rejoice in in the morning than that. But, you know, when the last drill is being dug, it's a lot different. There's contentment, knowing that the effort was worthwhile. And God says here that the time of Babylon's harvest will come, and friend, it did come. And it came with tremendous violence and repeated blows when Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, was slain that night. And you can read that in the book of Daniel. When the Medes came, and the Babylonians were overthrown. You know, friends, so too in our lives, there's the seed time of an immortal harvest coming someday. And the scene that you have now is the time of preparation. And the unalterable maxim of God's word is that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And the truth of the matter is, folks, if you and I live a sinful life, then we will die without Christ. You cannot hope to die the death of the righteous unless you live the life of the righteous. And every day the unrepentant sinner, friends, all you're doing is carrying another brand to your own burning. Wages of sin is death, the word of God tells us. But you know, it can be so different. Because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I'll tell you, friend, there is a harvest coming in your life because God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world by that man whom he hath appointed. And that harvest in your life is dependent upon what you will do with Jesus.
during this little while. As we conclude, I'm sure we're all familiar tonight with what a combine looks like. We know what it does. We've seen it in the field, I'm sure. There's a cutting off of the crop from Mother Earth, isn't there? There's a folding of that crop by the header into the combine itself. Inside the drums of the combine, there's a separating of the grain and the straw. There's the turbo fans in the combine blowing the air current through it to clean the crop. And there's a separating of the grain into the tank. And in the straw and chaff falls out the back to be bailed up and tromped into dung in a cow pen someday. Friend, whenever the combine of death comes and God comes to reap the harvest of this world, there will be a cutting down of us all from Mother Earth. And I wonder where will you be divided off to? Come tonight, friend. There's a time to be saved. And that time is now. And it makes no odds what records are set in this life, folks. What matters is the record in heaven. And is your name written there on the pages bright and fair? Is your name written in the book of life? 